This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now the European Union's leaders are meeting in Brussels today and tomorrow to try and find some common ground in their posture vis-a-vis Russia and Ukraine. Basically, it's about sanctions, but it's a very difficult task. 27 leaders, all with their own agendas. And interestingly, the deputy chancellor of the German government, uh, Robert Habeck, has said that European unity is crumbling on the sanctions issue. And that's a warning from not only the deputy chancellor, but the finance minister in the German government uh, to discuss what this means and other issues related to this conflict. Uh, It's a pleasure to welcome John Kampfner to the stand again. John, former bureau chief for the Daily Telegraph in Moscow, also chief political correspondent for the Financial Times and a political commentator for Newsnight and the Today program on the BBC. John, thank you very much for joining us. Hi there, This meeting in Brussels today, it's a two-day meeting. It has a hell of a task. It's going to be addressed, incidentally, by Vladimir Zelensky from Ukraine as well. But uh, help is needed there because the Russian attack is intensifying. Yeah, incidentally, whenever I think of EU summits, I kind of think, oh, where are the Brits? Um, Yes, sadly. and, And sadly, they are not there and nato has very much come into its own and it's great that it has the g7 has also played an important role as have various ad hoc groups but the sad truth for the uk in my book 
is that the EU is still the place where the big decisions are taken and the Brits are not at the table. But they've taken that decision, that's their lookout, and and we all move on. It is, I must say, across the piece, over the last couple of weeks, I, I'm beginning to be quite fearful of the situation in Ukraine and the wider political developments. Some people, I think, had got ahead of themselves in their optimism when uh, Russia withdrew from what being overexposed across the country just back to the lands they'd already held in Donetsk and Luhansk and elsewhere and creating the corridor towards Crimea. And people thought, oh, well, job done. Ukraine's going to win, although I'm never quite sure what that term win means when it comes to so many dead people and destroyed towns and cities. But across the piece, whether it's militarily, Russia is inching forwards. It's certainly not going backwards. And politically, it's not quite, it's not quite yet worst case scenario of Europe splitting, transatlantic, weakening, people doing their own thing, that was to be expected possibly or feared from the autumn when oil and gas prices and the winter comes on. But it's just not feeling good at the moment. It's not feeling right. And this EU summit is is going to reflect that. At the heart of what you just said there, and indeed of this conflict, is the question of Ukraine's resources, um, militarily, but also economically. Um, I mean, to rebuild somewhere like Mariupol, and they're doing this to other cities now, it appears the Russians are just going to bomb them into dust. It's really shocking stuff, quite apart from the war crimes and the rape and all of the other evils of this. The sheer destruction of Ukraine and the cost associated with that in a world where there is already a massive financial crisis it seems like a problem that's almost impossible to solve. And well, it's worse than that because you've got what will be around the world, not just in Ukraine, in the region, or in Europe, intensifying food shortages. Yes. Um, it is one thing for there to be great difficulties in terms of shipping the grain that has already been harvested that's in warehouses out to its the destinations that it's always gone to around the world. But we ain't seen nothing yet in terms of there not being a harvest this year. Yes. And what on earth are farmers going to do? They cannot um, prepare their land. They cannot sow their fields in the way that they otherwise might have done because they end up by being blown up or, 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 or whatever else. So Ukraine was always called the breadbasket yes. of um, of Europe, if not the world. It's certainly, uh, whether it's uh, sunflower oil or all manner of grain and wheat and whatever, absolutely has had a disproportionate effect on the world. And you're going to see all kinds of problems when you, um, you know, I don't want to sound too Armageddonish about it, but you've got the growing climate crisis and the problems, the crises that that is going to produce uh, and is already producing and migration flows from poor countries, which become less and less habitable. And then you have food shortages to boot. So we're going to be in for 
added to that inflation, cost of living crisis across Europe and the United States and beyond, we're, we're going to be in for an incredibly difficult autumn and winter. When you've thought about this, uh, John, are we looking now definitively at a new world order in which all previous bets are off in terms of a relationship, shall we say, with Russia, the West relationship with China. It was very notable last week when Joe Biden was asked if uh, the United States would intervene if China made a move on Taiwan, and he answered yes. Now, that's not American policy. American policy isn't as anywhere near as explicit as that, but it did give you a clue into the thinking of the present U.S. administration. Joe Biden, I think, by dint of his age and, and everything else, yes. has a habit now of misspeaking. Um, but he quite often misspeaks, and somewhere in that um, gaff, if it's if you could call it that, is a kernel of truth. Yes. And um, saying the thing he ought not to say but probably feels. And that was very much that question of intervention if China invades Taiwan. Actually, I mean, on the question of Russia and China as adversaries, I think that's actually the one positive, it might sound bizarre to have come out of all of this, because this sense of starry-eyed looking at these two giant authoritarian yes. countries and hoping they were something that they were not, sort of partners uh, essentially trying to do the right thing but having difficulties. That's all, you know, in, with, in terms of China, although there hasn't been a war, you look at the treatment of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, yes. you look at what happened in Hong Kong when student protests were not just put down, but it was it, was, uh, it enabled a security law that in effect tore up the 50-year agreement with the UK in terms of the future of Hong Kong, it is now pretty much just like any other Chinese city or region and has to behave in that way. So Xi Jinping has shown his true colors. Yes. Putin, in a much more explicit way, has shown his true colors. Xi Jinping is a serious player. Putin is just a deeply unpleasant disruptor. And so in that respect... And when you look at NATO expansion now and, and Sweden and Finland and countries like Switzerland playing ball and, and, and others, I think all of that has been a good thing um, in terms of wising us up. Right. But, you know, when you look at, and it's not just 2022, you basically look at 2016 onwards with Trump pretty much uh, saying I'm the threat, the friend of authoritarians and American Democracy, American democracy can go hang. Um, and then the little local difficulty of Brexit, uh, the rise of populism uh, across Europe. In a way, we were really despairing before all of this happened. And in some ways, it's enabled us to feel a little bit more that democracy is worth saving. But, you know, if you throw in the pandemic climate and all of this going on, what is remarkable is the speed with which global crises accumulate. It's not the fact that there have been global crises. There have been plagues in all through history. There's been all kinds of things. But there tended to be a few years in between in which we could all catch breath. The last seven or eight years, there's been something all the time. And that's really frightening. 
Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Now, John, Europe and development as a block without the UK, which, as you say, uh, certainly from my perspective, and I think many people here, it's regrettable that the UK is no longer part of Europe. It weakens both. Uh, however, Europe has to find a role, does it not? Is it capable of finding a role in this new world order and a meaningful role which brings onto the table in an Irish perspective particularly the question of neutrality. We insist on our um, military neutrality here and there is a debate beginning and it's quite a, a, a nasty debate really about how neutral we should be. But the bigger question for you, John, is about the European Union having the capacity to be a real player, which means hardware, military hardware, does it not? Well, I mean, first thing to say, at the risk of enraging your listeners, Eamon, I just cannot get my head around Irish neutrality. No, it's a I vanity. Think it's, I think it's a moral disgrace. Yes. Um, I understand, uh, as a Brit, um, Britain's historic uh, legacy uh, with regard to Ireland. I understand the outrageous 
um, flippancy of Boris Johnson and the Northern Ireland Protocol and all the instabilities uh, that Brexit has brought with it to the island of Ireland and the fact that Northern Ireland didn't vote for Brexit, whatever the DUP say. So I understand all the concerns um, that exist in so you know, don't live in Ireland, but, but insofar as I, I'm across them, I understand them. I just simply think there is no room anywhere in the world and yes. less still in Europe for anybody to sit on their hands. You have to choose yes. which side are you on? Are you on the side of democracy or are you on the side of dictation? I think it's really simple. And I, I just cannot understand how public opinion in Ireland continues to be so staunchly skeptical of hostile to uh, joining NATO or, you know, uh, because if you value democracy, it's what I say to the Germans the whole time. With yes. them, you know, as, as listeners know, I'm a great, you know, ardent Germanophile, but absolutely frustrated about the the peace movements and this sort of, oh, every you know, the only thing that matters is peace and all of that. And I keep on saying to them, well, who liberated the concentration camps was it a peace movement or was it a military you know and you you know the irish just have to ask themselves if you care about democracy as you do then do something about it defend it it. yeah it's something that i believe in and have uh, been quite open about that but it puts you on the wrong side of the debate in terms of numbers but let's forget ireland for a moment so as regards the rest of europe i mean it was always emmanuel macron's view, um, certainly prior to the Ukraine war, uh, his big pitch um, during the Merkel administration in Germany for strategic autonomy, as he called it, which was, you have these two big blocks, America and China, everybody was talking about the the tilt to the the Indo-Pacific, that was where the action was, and Europe needed to be a middle player. It didn't mean to be morally sitting in the middle, but it did mean there needs to be a third leg to the stool. Yes. Merkel was less enthusiastic because for all her mistakes about Russia, she was a staunch transatlanticist and believed that NATO and the American link was the most important thing. And it's interesting, Russia and Ukraine has thrown it all up in the air, um, A, because you realize that the danger is is closer to home. And while China and uh, everything China's up to and uh, the Indo-Pacific and the Quad and everything else are very important issues, um, we need to be mindful and alert to everything um, around the corner from us. In other words, Russia's uh, aggressive expansionism which will only continue over the next five years. Whatever happens, this will this this is here to stay. So it is important and it is interesting what Europe will now do. We, for all my um, feeling a little bit gloomy at the moment, I was and still am amazingly pleasantly surprised by the extent to which Europe, at the start of the war rallied to Ukraine and also realized the need for European union unity in order to understand that that is where the security long term will come yes. from. It's also partly an insurance policy on the possibility stroke probability, God forbid, of Donald Trump uh, winning in two years time, because then Europe yes. really will have to defend itself and it, it will yes. be on its own. Yes, and the signs of American isolationism are not new, as I'm sure you know. 
uh, indeed, they go back to Roosevelt's time and uh, the F- Joseph Kennedy's time, which is before the Second World War began. Now, that has ex- increased exponentially, really, that mood in America, and it is quite possible that Donald Trump will be back in the White House, in which case Europe is really on its own. Yeah, I mean, it will be, I, I think... With, you know, with what, not enough weaponry or clout to, you know, have much of a say over its own destiny. No, I mean, given that we've seen what Putin is now actually up to and is intending to do, any victory by Trump or somebody like Trump with an America first isolationist yes. Bent, but also a penchant of sympathy and and respect for dictators will be a green light for Putin. Yes. And at that point, you will see not just Ukraine, you will see Moldova, and you will then see the ultimate challenge in terms of going into the Baltics or Eastern Poland, in which case NATO has to invoke Article 5. Yes. Um, and then will be in completely new ground. Um, Would you not also see, John, China make a move on Taiwan? Because that's not a long-term project as far as President Xi is concerned. That is imminent. Yes. Um, I I mean, I'm not a China expert. I can't read the, um, pardon the pun, I can't read the tea leaves in, in China in terms of you know, what what she will do next. I think he will have had pause for thought when the Americans and the Europeans were as robust, were yes. as surprisingly robust as they were uh, at the start of the Ukraine crisis. She has his Congress in uh, expected in November when he will be re-elected. China experts um, are obviously predicting that he will win, but that he internally he has faced uh, a fair amount of resistance. I I don't think he will do anything risky between now and then, whatever no. happens in Ukraine. But assuming he wins and then in the subsequent few months consolidates his power, then uh, again, everything everything is possible. Another question that seems obvious is, how Europe can tolerate Viktor Orban and Hungary, which in many respects is no longer a functioning democracy. That is, in terms of being governed by laws, freedom of of, uh, the press, and he just got a ringing endorsement from his electorate and and is holding up at the moment a unified response to sanctions against uh, his friend, Putin, can, in your view, that Hungary or Viktor Orbán's coexist and hold a veto over the other 26 members of the European Union? Well, we will see over the next couple of days what what happens on that. He has been remarkably defiant, um, and the longer he is in power, the more emboldened he feels. The Poles by contrast, were incredibly hostile to the EU up until the war in Ukraine. Indeed. And now, because the Poles are as, uh, you know, probably more than anyone fearful of Russia, particularly if, you know, uh, thinking of Poland's history, um, they have really 
come back into the fold. The Czechs, the Slovaks, uh, Romanians, Bulgarians, staunchly pro-NATO and staunchly in the in the EU fold. It is just Hungary. And I was asking a Hungarian about this, actually, uh, only a few days ago. How come he does this? How come he keeps on being re-elected? And she said, well, actually, if you look at living standards in Hungary, mm-hmm. um, they are pretty good. I mean, corruption is rife. All the cronies around Orban are, are enriching themselves uh, hugely and all of that. But Hungary is in a, according to this um, expert, uh, Hungary is in a domestically a really sort of a relatively positive space. If you add to that, the he has undermined and um, uh, diminished the institutional checks on his power, namely the media and the judiciary. Uh, it is not like Putin's Russia. It, it needs to be said. But at the same time, it, not yet, not yet, and it probably won't be. And that's the cleverness of it all. Yes, there is a cleverness if you look at Erdogan in Turkey. Um, you look at other countries around the world. You know, I've always called it the Singapore model. Um, uh, what Modi is doing in Italy, in India, Bolsonaro, although he was a sort of buffoon in in Brazil, this idea that authoritarianism and the usurpation of power and corruption and bullying they're not to be equated with old-fashioned dictatorships which are russia china uh, and of course north korea and places like that you can be a more subtle and therefore yes. cleverer authoritarian and orban for all his well, he is a a clever adversary, but he certainly is not teetering on any brink domestically. Does he present an obstacle to Europe getting its act together in this in this meeting that's going on for the next forty eight hours? Can he be tolerated if he is using the veto, for example, on sanctions? Well, as I say, let's see. The EU has a remarkable habit and ability to have late night meetings go on until three and four in the morning and then to conjure <laughs> yes. some sort of fudge um, out of it. The Hungarians are um, uh, both ideologically and in terms of energy dependency um, very reluctant uh, or hostile to any form of EU embargo. As you mentioned, Robert Harbeck, Germany's economics minister, who is trying to reduce Germany's huge dependency on oil and gas and trying to accelerate that. Um, There's nothing to stop EU countries going on their own or forming clusters to do it, but it will be a great break on the credibility of the EU if the Hungarians do end up by scuppering this. Let's finally talk, uh, John, about Germany, which is, uh, you know, as you say, you are a Germanophile, and you've written a wonderful book, Why the Germans Do It Better, Notes from a Grown-Up Country, which I enjoyed immensely for all kinds of reasons. Germany, with now a new three-party coalition, a new Chancellor Schultz, post-Merkel, has Germany found a role in a way that Merkel and uh, Macron had a relationship? Has Germany found a role 
post uh, the departure of Merkel? And what might that role be? I mean, the departure of Merkel was followed fairly swiftly by the Ukraine war. And yes. It cannot be overstated the extent to which that has shattered pretty much every single notion of what Germany thinks it stands for since the Second World War and particularly yes. since unification. Um, I mean, it's done the same to everyone. But the whole German psyche and psychology was based in no more war in Europe, um, European uh, sovereignty, European cohesion, and the idea that war is in and of itself a defeat and yes. should be avoided at all costs, uh, rather than the notion which I would adhere to, which is all of the above. But there is also such a thing as the just war, um, which uh, does not equate to things like Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, and other things like that. Um, but it certainly does when it comes to Ukraine. It has absolutely yes. thrown everything asunder. Um, there are some positives that have come out of this. Schultz has disappointed and enraged in the last few weeks, but his original speech, his uh, New Era speech, presaged uh, a very different approach, much more spending on the military, um, modernizing that, and also modernizing the psyche of the role of the military in any good functioning democracy. We'll see how, how these two competing forces in Germany pan out. The Greens are playing a very, uh, are really the most mature political group in the country. Uh, Habeck, the economics minister, the equally impressive Annalena Baerbock, the foreign yes. minister, are doing what they can. It's Schultz and his SPD are the absolute break on um, what I would consider to be a more robust approach to um, Ukraine. Overall, of course, the relationship with France is crucial. Germany has improved transatlantic relations. I mean, they couldn't have been worse uh, than they were with Trump and Trump loathed Merkel. The feeling was mutual. Uh, he would have been the same with Schultz. Um, now that Biden is there, it's not sort of a uh, particularly joyful relationship, but it's a good business-like relationship. The Germans realize the absolute vital importance of keeping America close to Europe and hence the fear of, of a resurgence of Trump. But most of all, I mean, it, it is just a picture of a country that feels absolutely discombobulated by everything that's going on, doesn't know how to think, what to think, doesn't know, still would love to do business somehow with Putin, but realizes, most people realize that they shouldn't, um, still yearns for peace, but the question is what peace and whose peace. And the next three months are going to be really difficult for Germany. Has anybody seen Gerhard Schroeder last spotted at his 75th birthday party where Vladimir Putin was the guest of honor? I should tell yeah. our young, younger listeners, Gerhard Schroeder was a chancellor of Germany, a very powerful, charismatic, and respected chancellor. Who negotiated, although he always gets crossed when people say this, his job application to run the now suspended Nord Stream Gazprom. pipeline and, and then to be on the board of Gazprom, the yep. Russian state gas, and, and Rosneft, the equivalent for oil. Um, he called... Um, uh, Putin, a thoroughly worthy Democrat. They absolutely adore each other. Putin allowed him to adopt Russian children. The relationship, frankly, stinks 
stank and uh, Schroeder is an entirely disreputable um, politician. I've always never understood why uh, German politicians and the media until recently gave him a they 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 mocked him a bit but uh, they gave him a relatively easy ride he's famed uh, i'm finished now so i'll just say before you go uh, john a friend of mine was uh, in those meetings when margaret thatcher uh, was speaking he was an aide to our uh, uh, charles hoy our own Taoiseach, and he said when Margaret Thatcher began one of her lectures, Schroeder used to close his eyes and have a snooze. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Okay, John, we're very grateful to you for joining us on the stand. That's John Kampfner, a very distinguished British journalist. Uh, we're very grateful to John, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.